Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast, now in stereo. My name's Adam. My name's Jeremy. And we're in the same room. We are in the same room. This is craziness. (laughs) I tell you what. Stop looking at me. (laughs) I can't help it. I'm just wondering, like, the last time we did this live, we were facing the same direction. Is that what we need to do this time? Oh, maybe. I don't know. Is it creeping you out as I stare at you? No. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, this is, uh, this is the one. This is the giant-sized X-Men number one. We got a whole bunch of stuff planned. We got a lot of good feedback from uh, us blasting through those last issues. So we're gonna we're gonna try a new format a little bit here. We're gonna we're gonna cover the original issue, but there's some other backstories that seem to work out. And uh, what we'll do is we'll put them at the end. So like if you hate that stuff, you can just stop listening. Excellent. Yes, and we'll and we'll key you into when that point is. So we're not gonna waste your time with uh, the the retcon stuff in the beginning. We'll waste your time at the end. But we are going to waste your time with a little bit of factoids in the beginning. I've what do been, you have, Adam? I've been reading this book, Marvel Comics by Sean Howe, which is a fantastic book. It's a history of Marvel Comics. Sweet. And uh, so I learned the, that uh, the Marvel president at the time, 1973, 1974, Al Landau, he was, um, he was starting some... They they were repackaging Marvel Comics for foreign markets, and when they realized that there was a foreign market for comic books, they decided that they wanted an international super team. Oh. So current editor-in-chief Roy Thomas, okay. no longer Stan Lee, he, uh, he had been wanting to, you know, bring the X-Men back. Okay. And he thought, well, this is my chance. And uh, he got together with Dave Cockrum. Yeah, artist extraordinaire, and they just uh, came up with all sorts of ideas. Mm-hmm. Dave Cockrum came from DC. Yep, and uh, he had these characters that he created: Typhoon, the Black Cat, Mister Steel, Thunderbird, Nightcrawler. You might recognize some of those. I believe that that was originally planned for a title called The Outsiders. Oh, as a spinoff of DC's Legion of Superheroes, and it was ultimately turned down. Yes, he recycled some of those characters, and I guess they combined Typhoon and Black Cat into Storm. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Steel became Colossus. I'm looking at the Marvel Masterworks, and the Mar- Marvel Masterworks actually has a lot of that uh, characterized, as you can see here. Wow. I wonder if characters. that's in the omnibus. That's yeah. super cool. <laughs> there was another character, it looks like, called Vampire, uh, and ultimately they turned her down because she was too much like Wolverine and Nightcrawler. And I think that's the character that had a brother who ended up being Wolverine. That could be. Um, I read. I think that was a fact I got from the Wolverine omnibus. There was also a new costume planned for Jean Grey, but uh, <laughs> this goofy one. That wow. <laughs> they took. There's a cape there, and it's basically Storm's cape. So they gave that to Storm. They lost the rest of the costume. Uh, well, I mean, I guess they kept some design elements and moved it into the Phoenix costume. It's very Thunderbolty. So, uh, yeah, that, that's that's pretty much our intro to this. Uh, Lynn Ween um, was tasked to write this brand new thing, and he had already introduced Wolverine into his title 
uh, Incredible Hulk that he was working on. And um, I guess Mike Frederick was originally supposed to write it, but he, he dropped out. Interesting. And uh, originally Nightcrawler was supposed to be a demon who turned into today's that decided it was going to become a mutant and blah, 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 blah. Let's get on with it. This is the May 1975 giant-sized X-Men number one entitled Second Genesis. Right, which will be the first of four titles. Uh, and on the cover, I love this cover. It's my second favorite cover, I think, of all time, uh, with the X-Men, the new X-Men bursting out of the old X-Men. Um, my favorite cover, my other favorite cover, is the cover of classic X-Men number one, which is all of the X-Men lined up in a pose, hmm. if you recall that cover. Nope. Well, I'll show it to you when we get to that point. And this is by Len Wein and Dave Cockrum, as you mentioned. Glennis Wein is coloring, and John Costanza, he's lettering. No, well, he's he's new. No Artie Simic. Yeah, that's we're in the seventies now, baby. And he is no Artie Simic. Let me tell you, his lettering is atrocious. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, the, we have a similar splash page to the cover where the the new X Men, soon to be new X Men, are in front of the shadows of the old X-Men. Interesting, Beast is blue on this page, but on the cover, he's the old Beast. Mm -hmm. It's like they they didn't know. They couldn't decide. Uh, Spoilers, Beast isn't even in this issue. So That's true. (laughs) He he gets a mention. So we start right off. We just hit the ground running, uh, and we're just discovering Nightcrawler. Apparently, Nightcrawler is living in Winseldorf, Germany, mm. and he is being chased down kind of in a cliche way by the uh, village people with pitchforks and <laughs> with torches. With the village people? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's literally a guy in a fireman's suit and a police uniform. <laughs> They're dancing and singing and chasing Nightcrawler. It's very Frankenstein. Totally. Um, and so Nightcrawler, we're not getting a good sense of his power other than um, we see that he has just two toes. A parencial tail, three fingers, and can hop about. Yes, he uh, leap. He leaps on the side of a building and then runs, like scurries up onto the roof. So one might almost think that he's just like a clone of Spider-Man, but with a tail. Well, he is also uh, blue. Well, yes. Let's let's not forget that he looks like a demon. I guess I should. Uh, <laughs> we shouldn't just assume that everybody knows what he looks like. I have another question about uh, Nightcrawler. One that I think I know the answer to, but in the way he's colored, it seems to me like his red outfit is the only stitch of clothing that he has on, and his arms and legs are bare, and then he has his boots. It depends. Yeah, there are definitely some panels where he's colored that way and other panels where it's just black. I think it's the whole suit, but... I think it's the whole suit, too. And it is also interesting to note that... um, this is the the Nightcrawler suit. It's not like he's wearing plain clothes. So. Right. Well, this is a, a kind of explained as his carnival suit. Yes. Because he was a member of the Dirge Jamarkt. I guess his motivation for coming to the village was he was tired of the circus life and wanted to come learn with the people or something like that. Not sure what he wanted to learn. No <laughs> idea. But the people are like, how dare you want to learn? Burn him! Burn him! <laughs> uh, primarily because he looks like a demon. And in oh. fact, they, they start throwing torches onto the roof of the building that he is uh, hiding out on, and he realizes that they don't, they're, they're going to burn down the village. Well, not uh, only, yeah. It, just to get to him. And not only that, I mean, when they finally do capture him, now, this does beg a question. We know what Nightcrawler's powers are. Exactly. Why doesn't he use them? He gets pulled down by a mob, and they're punching him, and some guy 
brings over a hammer and a stake, and they're getting ready to stake Nightcrawler. And then from the inside of our minds or their minds, we hear a very loud, Stop! In the name of love. And Diana Ross <laughs> comes out, and it's really weird. <laughs> that is Diana Ross, isn't it? It is. Totally. It's the Supremes, totally. Uh, and Nightcrawler re- sees that everybody has stopped moving a la X-Men 2, yep. the mall scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's wondering what's happening to him, and Professor X rolls up. So my guess as to why he didn't use his powers was he just he gave up. He was like, if this is life. I'm, it's not worth living. If this is life among the normies, then <laughs> take me away. Okay, I'll buy that. Sure. Uh, yep, Professor Charles Xavier comes out and introduces himself and says, I, I, you want to learn, and I'm a teacher, and I have a school, so come with me. You're a mutant. And he says, oh, um, mein Gott, I am a mutant. I have heard that word before. I can't do a German accent, <laughs> clearly. Everybody's still frozen, and... Um, Nightcrawler asks, can you help me to be normal? And uh, Professor X says, well, no, but seriously, do you want to be normal? Yeah, I mean, that's inspiring words. Do you, after what you've seen tonight, do you truly want to be? And Nightcrawler agrees, well, maybe not. I would just like to be a Hulk hot Wagner. <laughs> there, that one I can do. Interesting, Nightcrawler gets three pages for his introduction. He does. He is, uh, he's clearly a very important character. We go to our next character, who is on an Air Force base in Quebec, Canada. Oh, we've seen this guy before. Oh, yeah. This is the uh, the, the agent-coded Weapon X. Yes, it is. And apparently the top brass or somebody sent a bigwig to meet Wolverine. Or Weapon X, I should say. He is not impressed, but apparently the top brass was, so he's going to listen to the professor's offer and... Uh, Basically, the professor says, hey, you're a mutant, just like he said to Nightcrawler, and I need your help. And uh, what, I, what I can give to you is you, you are going to be, you're not going to have to work for the government anymore. You'll become your own man. You'll be a free agent. Well, what I want to know is who are the top brass and why have the top brass identified Professor Xavier as a big wig? Mind wipe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> All right. I am a big you think wig. so? Let me talk to Wolverine. I, who knows? <laughs> and and the other thing is, okay, so they're on an Air Force base. Wolverine is Weapon X, and he's, you know, they say in here, like, you can't leave. We've spent a lot of time and money turning you into what you are now. You can't just walk out. How come it's just like this general, and there's nobody <laughs> else there? Like, there's no other soldiers. There's no guards. It's Sunday. Oh. <laughs> okay. And so... We get our first um, snicked. Snicket. Uh, Wolverine unleashes one claw. So I don't know if the idea here is that we're trying to establish that he can release his claw. A, we can release his claws, and B, he has individual control over the various claws. But well, we know at this point it's Lenween writing, so these are this is still a glove. It's not right. Lenween thinks it's a glove, right. but we haven't <laughs> said it's a glove yet. I think it would have been more funny if he would have released the middle claw, but he... Oh, uh, yeah, they probably thought about yeah. that, but we're like, oh, we can't do that. So he, he resigned. It's so easy. He says, I'm resigning my commission, effective immediately. And he um, cuts off the guy's tie. He's like, this is a free country. I'm leaving. And so off he goes. And then he threatens him. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime you want to come, you know where to find me. I don't know. I don't buy it. With everything we know of Wolverine, why was it so easy for him to leave? Mind wipe. 
<laughs> and like this origin of him joining the X-Men, while it is the the story, doesn't fit into anything else we've ever read or will read in the future. That's true, but right now there is no future. <laughs> Good point. Good point. So everything uh, else that's written since here is wrong. Yeah, exactly. So Wolverine got two pages. Next. And Wolverine gets two pages and uh Banshee in a movie theater apparently mm. uh gets two panels. One not so important. One important thing to note about Banshee is since we last saw him, he has had plastic surgery and no <laughs> longer has that horrible upper lip thing going on. Doesn't look quite as freaky. He does say it will be nice to tread the straight and narrow for a change. But was he ever a villain of his own accord? Not really. Just uh just you know, I think I think he's just happy for the change of pace to be aligned with a team of you know, to be aligned with something other than not so greatness. Okay. I think it's just a callback, you know. I used to be a villain. So. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. But he wasn't a villain by choice. No, no, he wasn't. But, you know, okay. they're, they're just kind of trying to stick with continuity and say, hey, we, we do remember this guy was a villain. Okay. Even though not by choice. So, from there we go to Kenya, East Africa. And there is a um, hilltop... Um, a set of stairs leading up to a great stone portal. There you go. At the top of which is a scantily clad uh, African woman who is being worshipped as a goddess. She is wearing, well, it's Storm. <laughs> yeah, she's wearing a loincloth. She has gigantic hair. <laughs> and she has her, her uh, traditional headpiece mm, yes. on. And uh, she's, not, she's not wearing a top, but yes. I guess as we find out, you know, some of this seems kind of stereotypical because yeah, know, very much so. You, you, you watch like the National Geographic stuff, and it's all topless African women. Mm-hmm. So, well, anyways, and that's them. that's exactly what they are evoking here. They describe her eyes as crystal blue and older than time. Mm-hmm. They say though, this is an interesting. Say, they say that when well, okay, so what's happening here is uh, one of the peasants comes up and says, "Where there's a drought, and we need some our crops and grasses need." water and so storm conjures up a rainstorm but uh it says her her liquid eyes grow dark right sky grows dark as well which i thought that was something they just invented for the movie but apparently oh no. no i had no idea okay yeah but they don't go dark ever whenever they're drawn in the comic book they go white that milky white color right just well, like the movie yeah. so yeah inter- interesting bit of dialogue but anyways so she does. Uh, she spends a lot of time conjuring up a storm, thunder and lightning, rain. It almost looks like she floods Africa. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and at the very end, she she after flying up into the air, she relands, and and the people are worshiping her, and a man in a wheelchair rolls up. Why it's Professor Xavier? I don't know how he's getting around all this terrain. That is a really good point, <laughs> and you know. Uh, when we went through the original X-Men origins, as he was collecting mutants, he then brought or sent those mutants to gather up the next mutant. I understand, like, as we'll learn, he's under a time crunch here, and maybe he doesn't have that time, but, like, he's flying all over the world by himself, <laughs> landing at an airport, then wheeling himself out, renting a car, <laughs> somehow getting himself into the car, then driving out to the plains of East Africa. Yeah, I don't know. Seems like he would have hired a driver or, you know, he seems to have a good rapport with Wolverine. He's like, look, Wolverine, how about you just drive me around or something? Or Banshee. Sure. He, he could have been, he, they could have done Banshee first. Right. And then have Banshee in the background. Hey, old friend. Yeah. I got a mission. You want to drive me around and get some mutants? Let's do it. 
Actually, I feel like during this whole thing, there should be like some bluegrass music as they're <laughs> gathering all these mutants together. But there's not. Uh, so he hits Storm with the, you You are a mutant, you have powers, and therefore you have responsibilities. And Reminds her that a, she's not a god. Yes, exactly. And she's like, well, that's that's interesting. I, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this thing out because it, it sounds different than what I'm used to. He, he says she's living in a fantasy, yeah. and I guess she realizes, yeah. I find it right. hard to believe. So, like, let's let's put this in reality. Like, mm-hmm. you are a topless black woman in East Africa who can conjure storms. Uh, don't you think you're a god? Of course you think you're a god. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people worship you as a god, and they bring you sacrifices. And as we saw earlier, like, they offer her sacrificial goats, and she's like, no, 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 you need them more than I. So she's a good god, so mm-hmm. that's nice. But if somebody came along and said, you know, you're not a god. You're just a mutant with weird powers. And you're like, I don't know, little man. I can do this. <laughs> Subtle mind wipe. Oh. Maybe all these are being gently nudged by yeah, the professor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's my guess. The professor's a dick. We know this. <laughs> so then we go to Japan. Storm two pages, by the way. Yeah. Two full pages she gets. We go to Japan and uh, we meet up with a dude named Sunfire. Yeah, we remember him. Mm-hmm. 65, 64, one of those. In X-Men The Hidden Years, which is out of continuity, but uh, he mentions in the very first issue that, oh, I'll have to remember the Sunfire character. Perhaps our paths will cross again. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, he does meet up and um, what's his face? Shiro Yoshida is like, White man, <laughs> he doesn't say that. No, that's not, that, that, that'll come later. <laughs> All right. He's, he's like, I don't owe you anything. Get out of here. But, but then, then he changes his mind. Yeah, perhaps it is time for the world, once more for the world to hear from Sunfire. He's got such a stupid costume. <laughs> I like how he like changes his costume in one panel. So, okay, so he was given two panels, a nice wide panel of them sitting, drinking tea, and then the next panel, he's standing in the forefront with his costume on. So <laughs> Professor Xavier just sat there while he changed into his <laughs> so he's costume. Like, he's like, excuse me, Charlie, I'll be right back. <laughs> Changes, comes out, and then says, perhaps it's time once more. Professor's like, and, and you can look at his expression in the background. He's literally like, for God's sake, <laughs> <laughs> we got a mission. Can we wrap this up? So then we go to Lake Siberia. Baikal, Siberia. And... If you were to think stereotypical Siberia, I don't think you would see these golden wheat fields. You would think of snow. Yeah, I know nothing about Siberia. Neither do I. Honestly, I I would think Siberian snow. I think, I guess, Siberia is cold a lot, but uh, uh, they must have a growing season. Yeah. And on this farm is a a man named Peter who is working the fields when all of a sudden a tractor driver says, Look out for your sister! He turns and he sees a tractor, a runaway tractor, no driver, heading straight towards his apparently deaf sister. <laughs> and that tractor, <laughs> look at the graphics, that tractor is moving. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's downhill and in, like, fifth gear and it's souped up or something. Like, have you ever been on a farm and seen a tractor? Oh, yeah, it's it's nice and moseys along. Moseys is a good word for what a tractor does. <laughs> I think top speed is, like, seven. <laughs> so I think Peter's, like... No, and Alana, which is his sister's name, is like, what? That thing's not going to be here for 20 minutes. I got plenty of time. 
And what is she doing? She has a pail and she has a little, uh, a, a tiny little kid shovel. Apparently she's digging into the ground. She's digging in the wheat fields. Apparently that's all you have in Siberia. <laughs> oh, the state give me bucket. <laughs> this is my job. Collect seed. Hello, I am shovel. Hello, I am pail. <laughs> nice to meet you, shovel. This is so much fun. Well, anyways, we find out that this man named Peter is able to turn into organic living steel. Yes, which he does as he runs over to uh, rescue his sister. He picks her up, but the tractor is moving so fast that he ends up having to stand in front of it and smash it with his mighty metallic power. And again, that thing was moving like a tractor. If it were to like run into a wall, would make a loud noise and like maybe one of the headlights would be broken. <laughs> this thing explodes <laughs> like it was packed with dynamite, too. Well, we've got to assume partially it's because Peter hit it. I'm There's, guessing. He well, raises his fist in the previous Oh, panel. you think he punched it? Yeah. Okay. So he's got he's got um, anger management issues. Yeah, he could have just been like, hold it up one hand and been like, okay, I got it. Well, right, because in here he's like, uh, and he wonders how his poor neighbors will ever afford to buy another tractor. Like, <laughs> could have just like tapped it and been like, ah, hey, neighbors, like be more careful next time. He's a man of action. He sees <laughs> something, he runs, he thinks about it later. Well, clearly he needs some training. And for that... The professor rolls up and says, you have power. You should use it to help the world. And so he goes to talk. He goes to ask his parents what they think. And he, he says, uh, I think you know, actually, I think there's one line before that is a little interesting where he says, but if I possess such power, as you say, does it not belong to the state? Ah, oh, communism. A little communism in there. So anyways. So yes, he goes to his father and he says, the professor wants me to take me, this professor wants to take me with him to deal, to teach me how to deal with my mutant powers. But I'm happy here. So what do you think I should do? And the father says, do as your heart tells you, my son. And then Colossus says, well, my heart tells me to stay, but I'm going to go. <laughs> but my conscience tells me otherwise. So <laughs> and, then the, and then the dad's like, well, all right, all right then that's okay. <laughs> so he's ignoring his father's advice. And then... Das Vidanya, Peter. Our love goes with you. Peter gets a little over uh, two pages in a panel. Uh, he has he gets two pages and three panels. Oh yeah, he starts out on the other page. Yep, yep. So he's he's two and a third pages. He's the second most character important character so far. Yeah. Now we head out to Camp Verde, Arizona, where we meet a man named John Proudstore. Proud star. An Apache, uh, I suppose, warrior, an Apache Indian member. He does not like the reservation, and he thinks that the Apache tribe is not the same people they used to be, and there's not a man among them except for himself. Right. He 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 feels that he they were meant to be hunters, not sad-eyed, simpering squaws. <laughs> I, I can't... Um, he's Thunderbird is a weird character. Like so, he's chasing a buffalo. So I don't know. Is this what is his power? Speed and strength, or just strength? Uh, it must be speed and strength because no man can run as fast as a buffalo. Yeah, and he's running as fast as a buffalo. He captures one. He wrestles it to the ground. And the professor rolls up and says, "Hey, why don't you come help us?" So I think maybe the thing here, he's an interesting character because everybody else has been very stereotypical. I think, but he's. Uh, just as bigoted as the people that he hates. Which is, yeah, it's it's kind of, it's strange because I feel like coming from, I feel like there's, 
clearly somebody who doesn't understand the Indian experience writing this, but it's still an interesting perspective. Agreed. I totally agree with that. So, Because he, he's like down on his own people, and that just doesn't – it doesn't feel – honest i, I right. feel like he would be a little more understanding maybe have a little and, well and, right. and unhappy with it and you know i get where he's coming from and that's an interesting dynamic but uh, he just seems so down on his people and, and his heritage well he's just down period it seems but anyways he's like oh, how did a cripple get out here which is what we're wondering yeah, as well like, the question wait. on everybody's <laughs> mind how did a cripple get anywhere <laughs> like did he just they're literally in the middle of the desert did he just like wheel himself out there for like the last three days like John, <laughs> I do you have water? <laughs> I finally caught you. <sighs> Luckily, I figured out where that buffalo was going to run. I'm going to need a glass of water and a change of pants. It's a mess down there. <laughs> but uh, he, he says that you're a mutant, you've got special powers, and you are needed. And you can stuff a cactus, Custer. <laughs> he, the white man needs me. That's tough. And then he walks away. And then Professor X uses... Um, his kind of, uh, he says, perhaps the Apache are all frightened, selfish children. Perhaps what they say is true. And, and that's when John Proudstar turns around and says, well, nobody calls me a coward, mister. I'm in. It's a little guilt trippy. <laughs> yeah, it's like, nah, it's, it's like a different kind of mind wipe. <laughs> hey, well, the professor has clearly studied psychology. Yeah. So uh, he decides to come along. So that gives John Proudstar almost two full pages. Right. So now? we know that the least important characters here are Banshee and Sunfire, who on the next page are talking to each other, interestingly enough. But we don't get to see what their dialogue is. <laughs> no, uh, Banshee's got his arms wide open. He's clearly st- regaling Sunfire with some sort of story that probably Sunfire the, seems vaguely interested in. It's probably like the Grand Ole Opry. Or, <laughs> you know, hey, I uh, went to Tennessee and I got to see the Grand Ole Opry. I bumped into Captain America. <laughs> it was crazy. We all got kidnapped and tied to this wheel. We were all wearing our, our outfit, our costumes underneath our, our trench coats. <laughs> trench coats, because that's what you do, right? <laughs> Sunfire, let me give you a tip. Never take that off. Always wear a trench coat over it. Wolverine stands in the background looking at the chandelier. In solitude. Well, this is chapter two, and it is called... And when there was one, whatever that means. Well, it, yeah, we'll, we'll see what it means. And what we're told here in uh, narration is that the professor um, telepathically taught them all English. Right. <laughs> in like a matter of moments or something. Mere minutes, it says. Mere minutes. So the language has closed the communication gap in mere minutes. So that's handy. Yeah, that's very handy. <laughs> And uh, so um, I guess everybody's given a costume except for Wolverine, Sunfire, Banshee, and Nightcrawler because they came with their own costumes. So I guess Colossus, Storm, and Thunderbird get their own. And the professor mentions that the uniforms are constructed of unstable molecules just like the the, uh, Fantastic Fours. He obtained them from Reed Richards, but you'll learn more about him later. So that's kind of nice. We're getting a little bit of explanation as to how these costumes work. That's Mm -hmm. good. And then Sunfire gets all mad, and he's like, no, you will tell us why you dragged us here. Don't you think that that would have been part of the original conversation? <laughs> like, look, there's some serious crap going on. I need you to come with me on the flight home, because we're coming from Japan to New York. I'll tell you all about it. Maybe. Nope, uh, no, <laughs> the, the professor didn't go straight home. He was just like, meet me here. Here's my address. Oh, that could be. And I got to go to Africa. That could be. Maybe he, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll take that instead. Otherwise, it's just like, Eight hours of awkward silence. <laughs> Sunfire like, so what's the plan? 
Hush. I'll tell you later. <laughs> There's no time. <laughs> Do you think? Uh, I feel like Sunfire's outfit looks like a frog. He just his mask is very frog-like to me, or some sort of. A- oh yeah, aquatic. It, yeah, it's very amphibian and, looking. Yeah, am- amphibian. I think it's the yeah. It's definitely the it's definitely the mask that's doing yeah, that. It's the nose and the gills. It's very yeah. If it's fish-like, it's it's more fish-like than frog-like. He kind of looks like a red merman from He-Man. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the professor settles Sunfire down by saying, "Look, I could tell you the story, but." Let me introduce a man who can tell it better. And that's when the curtain swings open and behind it is the man called Cyclops. He's wearing a different headset, which is interesting, Mm. but we'll find out why. So uh, he'll fill uh, the team in with the details. And he he begins to do that, but then he then he decides, well, let's let's come over here to Cerebro so I can show you this, and then I'll continue telling the story. He's like, well, I'm in actually in front of it. I'm actually, yeah. So yeah, so Cerebro apparently is able to do like an interpretive uh, video <laughs> of all of Cyclops's words because as Cyclops talks, we get the pictures of what happened. And apparently, what had happened now. We assume, you and I assume, that this is the secret mission that they were talking about right. at the end of whatever we were talking about, uh, Marvel team-up and yeah. stuff like that. But I don't know if it really ties in that tightly. It doesn't quite jive. Because what happens is uh, all of the old X-Men, including Havoc and Lorna Dane, are sitting around Cerebro when uh, Cerebro violently goes off, indicating that there is a very powerful mutant presence that they must all go check out. A mutant so powerful as to defy classification. It is on the south, or no, it is on the island in the South Pacific, and it is the island of Krakoa. Hmm. And so all of the X-Men rush out. So this doesn't really leave time for Iceman to go hang out with the Human Torch. But I'm going to say, like, Len Wein was like, well, I'm going to tie this in somehow. And it didn't quite work out, but... Well, you know, maybe, you know, this is this is after the whole thing. And at this point, you know, the professor's weird. So he's been going like, <laughs> guys, got a secret mission. Meet me in eight hours. Good, good call. So what you're telling me is that panel two happened at like 2 p.m. And panel three happened the next morning when they were taking <laughs> off. Exactly. Okay, I'll buy that. Well, No, no I, I was thinking that like we off panel, there's like, guys, there's a secret mission. Go get Iceman. So they go into town, tell Iceman, you got to come back by midnight. The professor's going to tell us all about this secret mission. It's way cool. Okay. And then we get, everybody gets together and they run in and, and Cyclops, then Cyclops says, what is it, sir? All right. I buy it. I totally buy it. All right. So they head off in their Strato jet, which I think is a jet that we've not been introduced to yet. Well, you know, it's another X jet. <laughs> Interestingly, Angel is wearing Magneto, the costume that Magneto designed for him. Apparently... <laughs> He doesn't have any bad memories associated with, <laughs> with Magneto that. siphoning out his power. power and tying him up to her and then getting tied up to the wheel and all that sort of stuff. Like, but the costume's so cool. Look at it. Um, interesting, on the Stratojet, it's got a couple of arrows on the fin and it says X-Men. Oh, yeah. Like they're advert, like, oh, where's the X-Men? It's got the logo from issue one, even. <laughs> have we seen the X-Men? Oh, there they go. <laughs> So that's kind of cool. Maybe that's just throwback stuff. Gene Gray points out that I wish we could have contacted the Beast. Hank McCoy's dexterous digits might have been uh, handy in a job like this. And Cyclops says, Hank graduated the X-Men, Gene, just like we all did. But <laughs> if he hasn't got time for us now, that's his business. I believe and, the uh, Cyclops looks terrible in this panel. 
He does. He's got a stretchy face. His his goggles are like he's got different goggles than he started this story in. He's got right. flat goggles. The, the yeah, the traditional goggles. Um, I thought they all graduated in like issue five. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, anyways. So they fly off and they they land on Krakoa. They turn the VTOL on, which we're reminded is the vertical takeoff and landing system. They land on Krakoa, and somebody says, look. Actually, it's Lorna who says, look behind us. Well, first they all, like, Iceman cracks some jokes, and um, then... uh, I suppose we're given some exposition. He says, look at all the uh, insects in the overgrown jungle. Right. Well, the thing that I find interesting is that Cyclops yells at everybody for making jokes. I, Enough banter. Strap in for a landing. I told you before, Iceman. Shelve the snappy patter. <laughs> we have to find that new mutant. And um, that's when Cyclops turns around and, yes, Lorna Dane indeed says, Behind us, look, it's... And then everybody is unconscious. Well, everybody's looking at whatever Lorna's pointing at, except, except for Cyclops. Cyclops who, so. In the next panel, we get kind of a uh, a graphic representing, let's say... The the hit of unconsciousness. Sure. And Cyclops says, I'm ashamed to say I never even saw what hit us. Okay. So then we're in the... Well, actually, yeah, we've got Cyclops in the cockpit of the Stratajet, and there's like some kind of nightmarish scenes that are kind of emanating off of his back. Yeah, we get a close-up of his goggles and a close-up of his mouth and somebody's eye. Maybe his. And we notice that he is no longer, I mean, his costume is all ripped up. He's not wearing his headset uh, or his hood or anything. Um, and he's, he realizes that his eyes are uncovered and, and he's powerless. He's normal. And then he says, did you hear me, world? I can't. And then, huh? He realizes he's talking to himself. And <laughs> he's like, oh, wow, this is really awkward. That's when I discovered I was back on the Stratojet. And he's I looking, wasn't in control. He's frantically looking for the black box. <laughs> Nobody must hear this. This is a horrible <laughs> conversation. The automatic pilot is jammed. Can't turn the crate back to the island. We'll, come, we'll, we'll, we'll remember that later. He, why does he look like he's all hulked out here? Well, this is the new Scott Chummers. He's oh. been he's been working out. Okay, so the Stratajet flies half a world around, uh, back to Westchester where it lands, and apparently the whole time he was in there, he was like hitting the seat and the control panel. He was very <laughs> angry that there's nothing he could do to turn around to go save his friends. Yeah, and he comes back and, uh, well, the professor's very angry at him. Starts yelling at him, starts hitting him with a cane. Do you mean to tell me the other X-Men are still on that island and you have no idea what's happened to them? I know nothing, Professor, except that something in Krakoa cured my eyes. And that's when his eyes start glowing and sizzling. Suddenly he fires an optic blast and a powerful, knocks himself across the room. It's a powerful optic blast. So his powers, uh, so he says, um, that... The thing that kind of bothered me is in the first panel on this page, it says, huh, what is it, Professor? Why are you looking at me? And then there's a whole lot of dialogue. And then there's a narration panel that says, but I should have known better than to even ask. And when I read that, I was like, ask what? (laughs) And I had to go back like six word balloons and be like, oh, okay. Right. (laughs) So it it was just kind of a weird pacing thing. But uh, his optic energies had returned with a vengeance. So apparently he's even more powerful than he used to be. They were so strong, even I could not control them. 
And that's when the professor designed a new optic uh, set of goggles for him. And then told him to go retrain himself in the danger room. Yep. And that brings us all back up to speed. And the ex and the Wolverine says, and the professor found us, so now what? And that's when Cyclops says, now we go to Krakoa to find the original X-Men and the mutant that defeated us. Sunfire's all like, nuh-uh, <laughs> not me. I ain't doing this. And Cyclops is like, what? <laughs> I don't understand, Sunfire. <laughs> Bitch, you a chance to help your fellow mutants and... Bitch be playing. <laughs> and Sunfire's like, fine. Whatever. Well, actually, there's a little bit of argument, and uh, all of the X-Men minus Sunfire take off in the Stratajet. Uh, and I guess Sunfire has yet another change of heart and flies up to the Stratajet and says, hey, let me in. Yeah. So. This is when the, the X-Men start giving each other nicknames. Thunderbird says, hey, One-Eye, there's something following us. And then presumably Cyclops returns around and says, I see it, Geronimo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They they don't care. <laughs> so they let uh, Sun... And then uh, Cyclops or somebody calls uh, Sunfire the Jap. <laughs> Oh, he does. Where is that? Oh. Same well, panel be... as Geronimo. The racism well, runs rampant. It's, Cyclops doesn't call him Jap. Thunderbird does. And I think that's why it's okay. Oh, okay. oh yeah. <laughs> well, I'll be, jig- I'll be jiggered, one-eye. Uh, the Jap. Right. <laughs> so if Cyclops would have done it, the, the comics code would have been like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but since the Native American or the Injun was like, hey, look at the Jap, the comics code's like, eh, we'll let it slide. Right. So that takes us to chapter three, which is entitled Assault Force. An hour passes. Two hours. Maybe three. I don't maybe know. I can't four, decide. Possibly five. Even six. Could be seven. No one can tell. <laughs> Eight hours later. No. It's just two hours. And they find this island of Krakoa. And uh, Cyclops admonishes both Wolverine and Thunderbird for cracking jokes. Again. He does not have a sense of humor. Apparently he's lost it since those old days. Well, he breaks everybody up into assault teams. We've got um, Storm and Colossus. We're using their new code names that the professor has given everybody. Right. Banshee and Wolverine, Sunfire and Nightcrawler. I don't know why... um Thunderbird doesn't get to keep his name of Proudstar. They could just call him Proudstar. Proudstar would be a great superhero name. But he doesn't. Uh, Thunderbird and Cyclops round out the team, and off they go. And this is strange that they decide... I guess it's, you know, they they separate so that they can cover more ground. It doesn't... We'll get to that. Yeah. As we'll see. So, right. And then one team go east, one team go north, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then we get a, a like a deployment scene. Sunfire is flying Nightcrawler around, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Banshee's screaming and carrying Wolverine, which also doesn't make much sense. <laughs> and then uh, Colossus jumps out. Storm's like, whoa, 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 whoa. But Colossus is like, don't worry about me. I can land. <laughs> and we never actually see him land, but I guess we assume he turns into steel and lands safely. So, uh... Uh, Cyclops and Thunderbird, they land the Strato jet, and then all of the X-Men... Well, let's see what happens. What happens next? Uh, Cyclops and Thunderbird leave the Strato jet, and then Cyclops realizes he left the many Cerebro unit back in the ship, turns around, and the ship is gone. Yes. Doe! <laughs> Not a very good leader here. <laughs> First he loses his team, then he loses his mini Cerebro. <laughs> But that's impossible, says Thunderbird. The ground just doesn't swallow up a jet plane hole. And that's when they notice 
a temple suddenly appeared out of the ground and they start heading towards it. Uh, yeah. They continue through the jungle heading towards the temple and that's when the uh, the underbrush, the jungle starts attacking Thunderbird and Cyclops. The fauna, if you will. Ah, yes. <laughs> the vines, they're alive! And Thunderbird rips them up from the ground and Cyclops blasts them. Yeah. Our beginner, you're doing pretty well on your own, he says. So they get to the temple, and they wonder how the others are faring. Fourteen minutes later. <laughs> uh, Colossus and Storm are also making their way towards this, the temple. This is an, Yeah, they see the temple, and they're making their way as well there as well. This is something that we won't see, I don't think, too much, but on panel four... I don't know what Colossus is saying there. Apparently, he's picked up some alien language. It's a bunch of weird symbols, and then he says, "The landslide cannot it's be." It's like it's actual Russian text, right. I think. But I don't know that they ever. Yeah, they don't do it ever again. Use that again. or whatever. Uh, yeah, we'll have to learn out the learn the pronunciation <laughs> of that. Um, or we can just butcher it forever. I'm fine with either. So the 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 landslide uh, was falling towards them and then changed direction and was following Storm and Colossus. So maybe like the island is essentially herding them towards the temple as well, potentially. Yeah, that, that would make sense. We get some exhibits of strength. Uh, Colossus picks up a log. Storm uses some of her wind power to direct the landslide at the log. And it's all batted into the water. And they show up yeah. at the temple. Storm, Colossus, glad you made it in one piece. And barely, Cyclops. Just barely. Meanwhile, Wolverine and Banshee are also noticing the temple uh, when they are attacked by a bunch of giant crabs. Yeah, and Wolverine says, the Wolverine has claws of his own, and starts attacking the, the crabs. And, and he says, and Irish, he likes to use them. <laughs> <laughs> In a goofy bit of dialogue. <laughs> Banshee's like, what the hell? <laughs> Care? Uh, Banshee does his little screaming attack and... They basically killed all the crabs. It's really like, as we go on towards their journey towards the temple, Len Wein is just running out of steam <laughs> on what <laughs> and, to say. And pages. So they meet up with Cyclops and uh, Hey, Storm. guys, what's going on? Eh, not a whole lot. You see that temple? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're here. And uh, it turns out a Nightcrawler and Sunfire are also heading towards the temple. And I guess Nightcrawler is jumping on the back of a bunch of birds because he is no longer connected to Sunfire, but is still in the air. They're being attacked by these birds. And here we get a, a, our first uh, use of Nightcrawler's power as he disappears with a stench of brimstone and a burst of flame and then appears in the trees and a bird hits a tree head on. It's, it's amusing. It's it's interesting. I I don't know if the idea was to be purposely, um, um, what am I trying to say, uh, a coy about his power, because he doesn't say, like, Sunfire, I've got this one, and watch what I can do. And then he does his power, he just kind of does it. And then we don't, we don't get the bamf, we don't get any noise. That's true, no bamf. Uh, and, we, and, like, if you were to just be breezing through this, you, I don't think, would really know what just happened. Yeah. There's nothing in here to indicate. Well, it does say um, the mutant called Nightcrawler is suddenly elsewhere. Right. You, and that, that's all the indication you get of the bamf. His laugh is little more than a hideous howl. How do you think Len Wein originally intended Nightcrawler to sound? I mean, we know him from Alan Cummings in the movies, right. which I isn't guess, 
too far off of what well, maybe yeah, I was and, and the cartoons and all the various right. adaptations of, of Nightcrawler, which is very stereotypical German. They make it seem here like he's very demonic, right? And so, like maybe he has like a high pitched voice or maybe a raspy devil voice, a hideous howl. <laughs> Watch this sunfire. Ja, I am German. I am Nightcrawler from the carnival. <laughs> Your manner seems like much like that of the beast you saw as Embo Misfit. How appropriate. Your direct approach appears. <laughs> has left us with a pawn in Sunfire. <laughs> it's just basically Nightcrawler saying that you took out all the bad guys except for the one that I took out. Good job. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to do that Nightcrawler voice anymore. But <laughs> Ever again. I'm, I'm not going to do that Sunfire voice ever again. I'm kind of thinking that that's what Len Wein had originally intended with his voice <laughs> or something along those lines. Anyhow, uh, they all now all of the X-Men are at the temple. Yay, we split up so that we could get back together. <laughs> well, you know. I think no, it made sense and yeah. it just happened to turn out that way. But it's still silly. A, from a writing perspective, it's a great way to burn some pages. But I mean, And show off some powers. Yeah. And strategically, it makes sense. We'll take him from all fronts because last time when we all landed at the same place, we all got kidnapped. Right. Well, apparently, there's no door in this temple. Just a big old wall. So Colossus punches through the wall with a Cyclops. Actually, I think they're all using their powers. Yeah, Sunfire, Storm, Colossus, and Cyclops are all using Mm -hmm. their powers. And and Cyclops mentions that... Here's your first practical lesson in the art of being an X-Men, which I believe is pointing to teamwork. Teamwork, sure. And and Cyclops says, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and we see all of the original X-Men. Except for Beast. And Angel. Nope, there's Angel, sorry. All of the original X-Men, except for Beast. <laughs> connected to a bunch of vines with little pseudopods stuck to their belly buttons and legs and oh my dear god it's the the other, other x-men and something seems to oh and something well i don't i don't do russian Duh. so <laughs> and something seems to be feeding on them no uh it looks to me like one of these is sucking off of um angel's nipple Oh, yeah. Kind of gross. <laughs> like, this is how whatever this plant is gets its nourishment. <laughs> Angel's like, kill me. <laughs> I feel so violated. They immediately bring down, well, uh, Cyclops commands the other X-Men to bring the X-Men down from their uh, 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 imprisonment. Mm-hmm. And they, they quickly carry them away. Uh, Colossus grabs Havoc and apparently Angel... Cyclops grabs Jean Grey, and it looks like nobody else grabs anybody else. Yep, they don't care about the other ones. <laughs> They're, the, the original X-Men are kind of coming to, and uh, you know, we, we're like, well, we, now we got to find this big evil mutant, which is when Angel s- jumps in and says, You fool! Don't you understand? It wanted you to come back and bring others. It's a trap! And now it's too late! The ground starts rumbling upward, and we see some eyes and a mouth and maybe a little bit of a nose forming, and we find out that the island is the mutant. Oh, man. But not really. Yeah, well, kind of. 
Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. It is. The whole island is the mutant. Right. The, the, but the, the, this monster is essentially a manifestation being created by the island, but the, the island is still alive. I mean, we know that the rocks move and yeah. the crabs are a part of it. And, and they kind of explain it in the next chapter, chapter four, which is called Krakoa, the island that walks like a man and talks like a man. You call it Krakoa? What do you call it? I think I was calling it Krakoa. Oh, well, whatever. No, I'm just curious. Like somebody like Len Wein has a, a pronunciation for this, and he's right. He is. He would be the right <laughs> one. But sometimes I wish when they would create new characters, like a, their, their origin issue, yeah. you would have a pronunciation. Yeah, guide. that would be nice. So idiots like us wouldn't be going around saying Magneto. I love Magneto. <laughs> what about Mesmuro? He's cool too. <laughs> well, anyways, we find out the origin of Krakoa. It was an ater- an early atomic test. On an on this island, that uh, the the radiation permeated every living organism. Uh, they show some ants and a man thing and um, some crabs and some birds and a tree and a lizard. So let me ask you this: the Hulk was created by an atomic blast. Does yes. that make him a mutant? Well, he was created by a gamma blast. Well, right. So this is an atomic blast. Oh. Uh-huh. Because I always kind of thought, like, in order to be classified a mutant, you had to be born that way. No, gamma. I think the Fantastic Four got hit by gamma radiation too. So, uh, so I know, no, no, that was like the cosmic. That was cosmic cloud. rays. Yeah, cosmic rays. Yeah. So, cosmic rays, gamma radiation, do not cause mutants. They okay. cause monsters or S- heroes well, or whatever. I mean, super. If I'm going to be super nitpicky about this, <laughs> like uh, super powered humans, a la the Fantastic Four are humans with superpowers. But mm-hmm. if they are to breed, as they do with Franklin Richards, their offspring are probably going to be a mutant because That's they're true. coming from superpowered genetic material. So I guess what I'm getting at is can this can Krakoa truly be a mutant if he wasn't born this I way? I would say no. Um, Although on the other hand, you could say that his birth was through all these nuclear radiation. Well, he, he's uh, not – I mean he, he's, he's like a mutant man. island. Um I, the terminology is very uh, loose, it seems. All and, right. And I, I would agree with you that he is not a mutant. However, um, I would say that Cerebro isn't that great a machine. I think it just looks for powers and stuff. Yeah, I mean, but... What, what is it going to detect? We'll get like, further... What, de- what specific is it about mutants that makes them mutants? Is right. it a particular gene? The X gene? Yeah. Does the Krakoa have the X gene? Maybe the Krakoa... Because I think... We'll learn in the future that Cerebro can't pick up other super-powered humans, only hmm. mutants. Even though it was able to pick up Mimic, well, maybe not it, a mutant. maybe it can now, and I think eventually, you it, know, Beast and Professor X kind of man, f- f- manipulate it, it up jigger so it, sure. it it doesn't detect. Pick, okay, okay, sure. I'm, superhumans. I'm, I don't know. All right, so Krakoa was created by atomic energies and. Uh, yeah. So all these things grew together to create a colony intelligence. It's like a giant swamp thing, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Swamp thing, man thing. Yeah. And so Krakoa was uh, once mutants. He became hungry. And uh, he, I, I don't know if it says it. Yeah. Well, I'm going a little bit ahead here. But basically, he was the one that extrapolated his energies to set off the bald man's machine right. to send off the mutants. And when the mutants landed... He captured them to feed on them, but uh, allowed Cyclops to escape so that Cyclops could go get more. 
And apparently Cyclops in his stupor set the controls of the the stratojet so that he couldn't turn them off when he got out of his stupor. So he siphons off some energy from Cyclops, mm-hmm. rips off his costume, yep. sucks out his mutant energy, yeah. Cy- and lets Cyclops go. Cyclops is half-crazed, runs all the way to the stratojet, manages to set it back to so that it goes back to Westchester, but in such a way that when he gets out of his stupor, he can't override the controls. Maybe Krakoa also has some mild telepathy. And was I, able I sure to hope so. <laughs> plant, like, on your airplane, set the automatic controls so that you can't override them later. And who designs an airplane like that? Where you can't, <laughs> oh my God, it's flying into the ocean and I can't turn it off. What are we going to do? This is a horrible design, Professor. Why did you do this? Well, Interesting also that the, that the Krakoi, as you said, was able to manipulate the professor. Mm-hmm. Yep. Jumped a little bit ahead. But yeah, so they're fighting, uh, and they fight, and we get a kind of a dist- demonstration of almost everybody's powers. Iceman's there, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Sunfire, Angel. I don't think we've seen Havok do anything yet. Oh, there's Havok on page 31. He's doing something there. So everybody's doing their thing. Uh, Cyclops, I'm sorry, Professor then realizes that Scott must stop because he's go- the X-Men are going about this all wrong. He says that he's been monitoring the battle and he believes that he has found the weak point and says, this is his plan, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> so presumably he transfers their plan to them because they, they get to work on it right away. And in fact, the Professor joins the battle and starts attacking Krakoa's mind. So I guess the plan is that Storm creates a storm, Some which sort of lightning. transfers energy over to Lorna Dane. Thus restoring the mighty magnetic powers of the girl called Lorna Dane. Apparently she needed some a lightning blast. Like just a charge? Yeah. So then she's being fed lightning to charge her powers, and it's going into her and exceeding what she can handle, but she's like, don't stop. We need to, to stop this thing. Havoc and Cyclops have a moment where they're fighting about whether or not they should stop. Like, is a world worth the woman? Even if she is the woman you love, it's not worth it. I swear to you, brother. We'll brother, learn. Brother or no brother, if she dies, dot, dot, dot. We'll learn later that Cyclops is a hypocrite when it comes to sacrificing <laughs> women for worlds. But anyways, uh, all that power still keeps going. Um, the other X-Men really aren't doing a whole lot, but spectating. The professor is losing the mind battle and ends up uh, falling unconscious. The Krakow is like... Which is cool, because I thought that the professor was going to save the day. And I guess he sort of he, has a plan. He doesn't, he doesn't. But he, he falls unconscious. He's ha- Okay, so uh, again, this goes... Uh, again, this is something of a consistency standpoint. We're, we're hoping now that we've entered the Len Wein, Chris Claremont years, that we're going to get some consistency with powers. Uh, Professor X is about a half a, con- a half a world away, <laughs> projecting all of his mental energy at Krakoa to supposedly weaken him, weaken him or something. So I just wonder if he's going to be able to retain his world-traveling mental powers throughout this run or if it's going to be brought back and forth. But anyways... Uh, Krakoa gloats. He's like, you thought rain could destroy me, but it only serves to replenish him because he's a plant, right? Right. And so he's growing. Uh, Marvel Girl 
says, we can't hold that off forever. What if the professor's plan doesn't work? And Cyclops backhands her and says, shut up, woman. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, he he says, so Marvel Girl doesn't really use any of her powers, I don't think. No, she just questions the plan. Okay. And then the two Summers brothers, they now turn towards Krakoa and unleash the fury of both of their powers with the single formation of a word, no. Which, uh, I guess the plan goes into action. And, oh, right. I forgot about this. <laughs> um, Lorna Dane uses an almost indescribable force, launches magnetic energies all the way to the core of the Earth through 4,000 miles of the Earth's ancient crust. And, yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> should, we, should we explain what happens or just wait until next page? I mean, it's, it's very difficult to understand, but I, I think I get it. I think I get it, too. I mean, so she does that. Krakoa's like, oh, this feels weird. Something's not right. You got to help me. Um, they all agree that the plan is working. There's a whole bunch of dialogue. They all there, scatter well, to the different a cool, There's a cool panel with Havoc and uh, Iceman where uh, Havoc oh. says, Lord is too weak to run for it. Ow. Eh? And Iceman says, you, the lady doesn't need your help, Hotshot. She's in good hands for a change. For a change? <laughs> Why, you little... And, and then, then they all take off. And so I think the plan is basically to use all of this force to repel the island off of the planet. Yes. Uh, somehow she removes the gravity... From just this island, causing it to rise out of the the, the ocean and into the sky and into this into the space. There's, yeah, there's a lot of dialogue here, but I think it would have been a lot simpler just to say that the island suffered like a magnetic backlash. Yeah. I think that would have been super cool. Just you, you, the magnetic go into the core. All of that power has to be repelled somehow, so it comes right back up. But there's a delay because it's going through 4,000 miles, which gives the X-Men enough time to get onto their rock, which Cyclops and Havoc use their powers to repel that rock away from the island like a speedboat. And then by the time they're sort of safely away, uh, the power has backlash and sent the island off. That's not exactly what they say here, but well, they say and the effect like is the same as squeezing wet soap through a fist. Sure. Except upside down. Yeah. So imagine squeezing water, it squeezes out the bottom, yeah. but flip that over so it's squeezing up. Yeah. Well, haven't you ever had like a bar of soap and you squeeze it and it goes flying upward? Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's the alliteration that they're using. It's there. also very similar to uh, Beast being squeezed into the air by... By Blob uh, and Eunice. Eunice. <laughs> exactly. So they... Man, they're already reusing plans. <laughs> this is terrible. So, so the, the rock that you mentioned is actually Iceman creates a giant ice platform for them to... An ice speedboat, if you will. Right. And then, uh, apparently, the ocean is rushing to fill in the space that Krakoa just vacated, and we're caught in the whirlpool. That, that's that's sound reasoning. That's, that's, yeah. Yep. And uh, Cyclops commands Iceman, create an, ice, an airtight ice dome over this raft. It's the only chance to survive this miserable maelstrom. Which he does, and they go into the swirling maw, and uh, they get tossed all around like um, the Enterprise when they're <laughs> blasted by something. Yeah, so what, what happens is four X-Men fall to the left and one falls to the right. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no, they're tossed all about, and they're sucked underneath, and are they dead? Are they gone? Well, no, of course not. We <laughs> see Cyclops' optic blasts blast through the water, 
and they surface. Have you ever seen anything more beautiful than fresh air and a warm sun? Says it looks like Marvel Girl, but it's kind of far away to tell. Angel, Angel says, says, yeah, that. Almost forgot. The old stratajet is watertight. <laughs> uh, okay, we needed that bit of dialogue. Well, you know, they had to explain. Well, now, wait a minute. Now, wasn't the jet on Krakoa? <laughs> Shouldn't it be in space as well? <laughs> well, what they didn't know is that Krakoa sucked it into the island and spit it underneath the island. Oh, okay. I, I'm going to have to assume. <laughs> okay, sure. So they all climb aboard uh, the stratajet. And Marvel Girl apologizes that there's not enough seats for everybody. I mean, t- <laughs> what the heck are we supposed to do with 13 X-Men? Which is what Angel says. Oh, no. And we'll find out next issue when the Doomsmith strikes. Next issue being Giant Size Number 2. That's right. We will read that Giant Size Number 2 next time on The Danger Room. But we're not done yet, folks. When we say we've got a Giant sized X-Men... We've got a giant-sized danger room as well, and there's plenty more to cover. Yeah, what'd you think? It's good. Uh, oh, one <laughs> thing I wanted to say, I mentioned this early on, uh, about Dave Cockrum. Um, when, I was a young, when I was a young lad collecting <laughs> X-Men, I grew up with the artwork of uh, John Byrne and uh, Silvestri and Dan Green. And Jim Lee. And Jim Lee later on, but, but my formative X-Men collecting years were those artists. So... Uh, in in my mind at that time, Dave Cockrum was always a step back in quality, but you know it's not a fair comparison because it was two different time periods. Right. So uh, I I actually now have a new respect for Dave Cockrum because we're coming from you know the older X Men and we're mm-hmm. going into this era of X Men and you know if you compare those two, like he's the next evolution of the comic book artistry that we'll we'll begin to know and love. So, anyways, True. that was just a comment that I had about Dave Cockrum. So, yeah, yeah, the, um, the storytelling is 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 better than the Roy Thomas years, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure, a couple couple cliched moments, yeah. racism, but you know, uh, are they cliched though? I mean, it's it's, it's 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 in the seventies, so maybe it's cliched now, but maybe it wasn't at the time. I don't know. That could be, but overall, good, uh, a good issue, a good introduction. Um, one thing, though, that I, I always had respected of the issue was that you never saw Krakoa again. Like, that was it. Like, we did it, and we're done. Well. And then fast forward about 30 years, <laughs> and now there's Krakoa's all over the place. Yeah. What? So disappointed in that. Why can't they just... Has Uncle Ben ever come back? Um, I don't know. <laughs> all right. Probably. Anyhow, what did you think of Giant Sized X-Men 1? I thought it was good. Um... I thought it, it was introdu- it was good to introduce be introduced to all the new characters. I'm we didn't really get a feel for anybody's power set. No. So I'm I'm kind of looking forward to learning about that. Well, you have Obviously seven. I already know about it, but right. I'm, well, I'm interested in re-seeing it. Well, and to see how it develops. Uh, but how... mainly the old X-Men were the ones who were using their powers mostly in this issue. I mean, it was yeah. like the Iceman, Cyclops, Cyclops Havoc. Havoc. Yep. Lorna Dane yep. and then Storm were essentially the ones who saved the day, plus Professor X. Right. So I guess I mean we'll see how it progresses in Giant Sized X Men number two. Indeed. In which this issue continues on to. It's true. So uh as we said, we're not going to jump right into the Rhett Connie stuff. We'd like you to stick around to listen to it, but uh we, we are gonna do just a couple of letters here and then move on. 
We have a letter on Facebook from Wesley Hansen. Love the work, you guys. Keep it up. I was wondering if you could do the Wolverine four-part miniseries by Chris Claremont when our old knucklehead Wolverine goes to Japan. By the way, love the rundown of Incredible Hulk 180 to 182, which I own all three. Lucky guy. So thanks for all the laughs and keep it up. Well, thank you. And you're welcome for all the laughs and commentary. We've Adam and I have talked about it a little bit. Uh, Adam informs me. First of all, I've never read the Wolverine four-part series, so that would be something for me to do. Uh, and also, it is wedged between two X-Men issues. So maybe. It, Yeah, it pretty much happens right in between two issues. So yeah. we haven't decided how we're going to do it, but we're definitely going to do it. Um, whether it be one episode or four episodes, <laughs> we'll figure that out. When we uh, get there. It might be another four-hour slugfest like we just went through. Those seem to be pretty popular. I, seem, I enjoyed listening to them and doing them. So maybe it'll be something like that. We also got uh, a little bit of um, iTunes feedback from Swensky at MI. I'm going to assume that this person lives in Michigan, but maybe not. Uh, and it's quality commentary about occasionally non-quality issues of a quality comic book franchise. So <laughs> that's three uses of the word quality in one sentence. So I appreciate that. Yeah, it's funny. And uh, also, I want to give a big thank you to the folks that are not necessarily posting comments on the iTunes page, but are just simply giving us the five stars. That's great. We've got 33 of those. Uh, and I don't think we ever thought we'd get more than five. So thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> That's excellent, but keep it up. Don't stop. Don't don't let our current success hold you back. Don't be like, uh, oh, those guys are doing well. They don't need my five star review. Yeah, our or success. Rating. Marvel's just knocking on our door. They yeah, want they, us to host a show, kind of like the Talking Dead for the Walking Dead. But we'd like, we'd be that personality. Yeah, exactly. They're like, hey, you guys. I mean, we want you to write the new X Men. Uh, we love your commentaries. We're in contract negotiations, but you know they just can't pay what we're what we're asking for. We're making too much money on our own to, <laughs> to take that Marvel money. So, so yeah, that's that's our success. Actually, I, I'm totally kidding. If there's a Marvel exec out there that wants us to do anything, I'll totally do it. Anything? Well, no, not anything. <laughs> well, Adam, this is the uh, part of the podcast where we're going to, I feel like uh, um, uh, Chris Farley from Saturday Night Live. This is the part of the show <laughs> where I'm going to introduce the next comic book. Classic X-Men number one, as I mentioned earlier, this contains maybe my second favorite cover. You know, I have to say, Art Adams is probably my favorite artist of all time. I don't know that I know of anything else he's ever drawn. Oh, he he always does these kind of uh, classic lineup covers. Um, he, he does like issues here and there. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Fantastic Four when the Fantastic Four was Wolverine. Ghost Rider, Hulk, and Spider-Man. That sounds like an awesome run. It was only three issues, but oh. it was all done by Art Adams, and it was amazing. I and I and I feel like he is the precursor to Jim Lee. This is a super detailed, uh, excellent use of uh, lines, pencil ship, and everything. So, and I also think that maybe I I like this a lot because it was the cover of the character guide of the Marvel superheroes game. Okay, I think. I could be wrong about that, but so I never owned this issue and I'm going to, uh, this is, so the classic X-Men series, Adam and I had a debate, like, should we just do classic X-Men and not the original X-Men? But as was pointed out to me, these aren't necessarily the entire original issues. Right. Uh, and they're kind of like, well, they're special editions. They're special editions before there were special editions. It's like a director's cut. 
kind of, but it's like the George Lucas version of let's shoot some new footage and edit it in, and it may not even be necessary. Right. So ultimately, we decided just to go to the classic, the original material, and then and then cover this. Uh, so this would be a little bit more extensive because, as I did not realize, I, I always assumed that Classic X Men number one was either issue ninety four or Giant Size X Men number one, with maybe a couple of filler pages for background. But Classic X Men number one is basically an entirely different, well, not an entirely different story, but it's it's almost entirely different than Giant Size number one. Yes, it it reorganizes the structure of the the story and um, cuts out a lot of pages. Yeah. So this is two classic tales of the Uncanny X Men uh, from September 1986. Uh, the creative team is Chris Claremont, Len Wein, John Bolton, Dave Cockrum, and they're kind of mixed up all throughout the issue. And I'm not going to bother going through all of that. Uh, one question I had was about the colorist. So the colorist in Giant Size is Glennis Ween, but the colorist in here is Glennis Oliver. Hmm. Was there a split or a marriage or something? I don't know. That's I, an interesting uh, detail. I mean, there's not too many people named Glennis out there. I can only <laughs> assume that there's only one working for Marvel. And I could be wrong, but, but okay. Anyways, so uh, as we open up, the first tale is called actually First Night. Right. They retitled it for some reason. And and basically what happens is we get Cyclops bursting in on Professor X having arrived back from Krakoa. And instead of Cyclops telling this story to the uh, the new X-Men as he does in Giant Size, he just tells it to the Professor. We get to see it instead of seeing Cyclops tell it. So we don't really need to cover it. It's, it's the same thing that we just covered. It's just differently drawn. Um, we get a little bit more expansion on his eyes uh, when he looks at the Professor and the Professor says, your eyes are glowing. Um, we get Cyclops covering his eyes and then blasting the room. And then we get a panel of uh, the professor wrapping Cyclops's eyes with a rag, and then also saying, "Thank goodness your body is impervious to the beam's force," <laughs> which I don't think previously has ever been said. I mean, it's assumed because he can shut his eyes, right? Right. Otherwise, he'd blow his eyelids off. But and we get a little bit more extrapolation that uh, his power has been upped a considerable degree. I'll have to modify your ruby quartz visor to contain them. Let me just go whip that up in my lab real quick. So he does. He goes into Cerebro after that and leaves Scott to train and uh, determines that he is going to summon a bunch of other mutants that he has kind of cataloged. He's been tracking mutants for some time now. And uh, yeah, so Cyclops does go into the danger room. He's practicing, and apparently he's getting the hang of his new powers pretty quickly. Uh, take a look at his package there on the second panel. It's, it's a very well-endowed man. <laughs> they have a little conversation about how Cyclops feels so bad that he left the X-Men behind, and how he thought for a moment that he was cured and he didn't have these horrible optic blasts anymore. But the professor's like, boy! I'm confined to a wheelchair. How do you think I feel? And Scott's like, oh, I'm sorry, Professor. I forgot about that. <laughs> and they make a, uh, they don't really make a plan, but the Professor says that he has to get new team of people. Uh, Cyclops is like, you think that's a good idea, bringing these strangers back to the mansion? And the Professor's like, we don't have a choice. Right. Over the years, I have been establishing a roster of candidates for a backup team. 
So we cut to basically page one of Giant Size X-Men where we meet Nightcrawler. Let's get past all of that. We get the origins actually of all of the X-Men, new X-Men, I should say. And essentially the we cut to, to the end of the Krakoa story. It gets, it gets wrapped up in a page rather than, uh, I think, essentially chapter. Once, the, once they see that the other X-Men are uh, being siphoned of their energy by Krakoa, they, they wrap up the entire story in one page. Yeah, uh, which is kind of where I was reading this, and I kind of I chortled because I was like, "What the hell? <laughs> what else are they going to do in this issue? We're only on like page uh, eighteen, and the issue's over." Well, little did I know that that's really just the beginning of the story was to set everything up so that we could introduce a lot of backstory. Right. Let the retcon begin. Yeah. So the X Men have finished their ma- uh, mission. They've gone back to the mansion. They're all eating dinner. <laughs> Lorna and Alex are kissing because that's what you do when and you're the professor dishes. spying on them and then having – he sees them or he mentally sees them kissing and he's like, oh, whoops. Oh, I think I've heard enough. Where's Cyclops? Well, this is kind of the funny part of this issue. Um, Marvel Girl is all like hanging off of him like, oh, Banshee's playing some crazy licks on the piano. Let's go down there and join the party. And he's like, well – I need to finish my after-action report on our encounter with Krakoa. So what? The professor makes him write up like action plans and Apparently. summaries and status reports. Discipline. There's got to be discipline. I have to finish our Krakoa issue paper, but as soon as I'm done, I'll be right down, Marvel girl. So Gene's all like, you know, this wasn't your fault. Come on down. You'll know where I am if, if I change. if you change your mind. And apparently where she'll be if he changes his mind is out back by the trees. <laughs> like she's just going to stay there all night waiting for him. You know where to find me. By that tree. By that tree. <laughs> that one tree that one time we touched hands or something. <laughs> and she has a long thought conversation with herself where she's I've like. I've seen his thoughts. I know how much he loves me. It's just so hard for him to express it. But I thought we had established with the Neil Adams run that they had, like, they're an item. Vaguely. I mean, it's, they're like, oh, it's so – we were hiding from each other for so long. It's so stupid that we did that. Right. I, I think at this point they are an item, as as is pretty clear. She kisses him on the cheek. Yeah. And I think it's just she's – you know, he he's one of those – isolated men who doesn't bring out his feelings okay. and so she 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 can feel his feelings right because she's telepathic but at the same time she wants to hear it would you say he's a loner a rebel she wouldn't <laughs> want to get involved with a man like him <laughs> honestly, <laughs> no, honestly no <laughs> <laughs> all right so we flip our attention to banshee who is rocking out some lyrics on the piano i He's playing some uh, boogie woogie, which he pronounces as boogie woogie. <laughs> I don't know why, but hey, classic oh, yeah. roadhouse jazz, he calls it. Okay. Tis old boogie woogie, classic roadhouse jazz. Hi, tita. And me name is Sean. So we're establishing apparently that he can play piano, and uh, Peter is sitting on the chair drawing. Uh, he says he's an artist, but he's not very good at it. But uh, Nightcrawler knows better. He's up in the shadows, and he says, yeah, you're actually pretty good. But he but scares Colossus, who uh, meddles up and ends up ripping his shirt. And uh, 
Nightcrawler bamfs across the room. Ah, but there's no bamf there. There is no bamf. It's true. Teleport. Well, again, if you didn't know what was going on, you would just assume that he walked from where he was to where he went and exploded. Well, then he says, never seen a demon teleport from place to place before. Oh, okay. All right. So that's all right. You're right. Yet. Yet. Another shirt ruined and my mother is not here. (laughs) (laughs) Nightcrawler sitting on the piano. Bobby comes in and is like, you guys should leave. Nobody (laughs) likes you. (laughs) And uh, Nightcrawler's like, oh, come on. Oh, come on. I can't remember the voice I was using. He's juggling some wine bottles because uh, apparently, as we will learn, this band of X-Men like to drink. It's true. And they, in fact, uh, they, they're about to toss Iceman a bottle, and Iceman's like, I'm not old enough to drink. I'm not your comrade, Rusky. This is America. You clowns figure you can waltz in here and take over like the rest of us don't exist? I'm an X-Man. It's where Angel and Marvel go and Cyclops. Like our feelings, our opinions don't matter. We don't even like to waltz. We hate you. <laughs> And the new X-Men, Banshee and Nightcrawler. Well, and Banshee's kind of like, hey, I'm, I'm kind of one of you. Like, he should be anyways, but he doesn't. He doesn't say any of that. But he's like, oh, come on. Let's hang out. Let's have a drink. Yeah, but, and, uh, and Nightcrawler says, yeah, the professor accepted me, even though I'm kind of freakish, so why can't you? And uh, this, he and just slams the door. He leaves. Yep. And uh, we get a little bit of uh, uh, Colossus is kind of like, wow, man, uh, I might just leave. Yep. And uh, Nightcrawler and Banshee say that they intend to stay and and Cyclops or uh, uh, Colossus says he's going to think about it. We get an odd. Oh, I think it's this is a it's not a very good establishing picture, but we get somebody thinking off panel as we're looking at some pictures of uh, the original X-Men. Now, the top picture is like a big picnic of everybody, which is fine. But the bottom left-hand panel is like Cyclops resting her head on Marvel Girl's shoulder and then her pointing at an airplane. Like, <laughs> Look back there. Plane. Plane big. I like plane. Take a picture of the plane. Not me. The plane. The plane. Oh, you silly. And we find out, I think we find out that it is um, Thunderbird. Yes. Who is walking through the mansion hallways and runs into Iceman, who is still pissed off. <laughs> And takes it all out on, on uh, Thunderbird, who is trying to be friend. He's like, hey, Iceman, yeah. why don't you show me around? This place is kind of cool. And Iceman's like, you want to explore? You go right ahead. Everything's labeled, and you can't get lost assuming you can read. <laughs> uh, which is weird, because Thunderbird was like the most, other than Wolverine, disagreeable character on the entire team last issue, or the oh, he, giant he, size. He even admits that he, you know, he is part of a hotshot group of upstart outsiders. Yeah. And he feels like he doesn't belong. So he makes like, he, he thinks to himself, I'm, I'm just going to make this extra effort. I'm going to make nice. So I, Iceman freezes him up, uh, which, you know. Which is pretty. Uh... It's pretty aggressive. But I mean, what, what, what happens when Iceman freezes somebody up? Well, they die. No, they bust through right. <laughs> every time. And this happens here. Yeah. Thunderbird busts out, and then we flip to Marvel Girl, who's still waiting by the tree. <laughs> oh, I've got telepathy, and I can look into people's minds. Uh, there's too many new X-Men. I wonder if it's a bad thing. And that's when Wolverine shows up. And um, Lady, this is This is technically, see, this is weird because... In continuity of the actual oh. comic, we don't know that this is what Wolverine looks like. 
He's Correct. just a guy in a costume, and he doesn't have, you know, this characteristic has not been established. This relationship has not been established. So this is a real hardcore well, retcon. Yeah. Eventually, this stuff will be established, but they're going to go back and kind of make it more concrete right. with this here. So this is supposed to be the first encounter of Wolverine and Jean, but as we learn, I think, in the real comic, it happens completely differently. Right. I think it happens while they're on missions and stuff, but which makes this largely unnecessary. But anyways, she busts in, and he's like, Lady as lovely as you shouldn't ever frown. And he starts putting the moves on her, but he's drunk because he's like, want a beer? You're well, she's like a bad boy. Genie. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like this whole time she's been with like these white bread guys living in this mansion, and all of a sudden this rough guy from Canada comes up, and he's like, "You want a brew, eh?" <laughs> Your heart's pounding, Jeannie. You're breathing awful fast. Gives me the impression the feelings are mutual. You're mistaken. <laughs> want to bet, <laughs> Wolverine? No, this is a mistake. And then we get a scene of uh, Storm flying around and Angel flying around and uh, Angel kind of hits on Storm. Hey, well, it, gorgeous, what's it, an angel like you doing in this place, says it, Angel. It, yeah, and it starts out very amicable because like he's flirting with her and she's like, that should be my question since you are more beautiful than I. Yeah. And they keep going back and forth until until Angel's like, like really starts putting the moves on her. <laughs> Oh, yeah. He, he's all like, it's something better explained with deeds, not words, starting with a kiss. And Storm's kind of like, ah, <laughs> I don't know. But then Angel with his eagle keen eyes, which I'm trying. I mean, it's a power that's established certainly within Marvel continuity. But has it been established in the classic? It was mentioned, I think, in the Red Robin or whatever. Oh, Red Raven issue. Red Raven issue. Okay. So anyways, from with, he was like high up above and yeah. he was looking at ships or something like that. So his eagle keen eyes sees plenty, but nothing he can't handle. And what he sees is Wolverine trying to put the moves on Jean. You heard the lady shrimp back off. He grabs Wolverine and throws him into a tree trunk, which looks like it kills him. So he flips out. And let's keep in mind that. Nobody knows what Wolverine's powers are. That's true. And I got to imagine Wolverine's pretty heavy. <laughs> right. Uh, and not only that, I mean, yeah, so they got to assume that he does not have a healing factor, that he does not right, have an right. anti So basically, he just killed Wolverine. <laughs> are you insane, Warren? We were just talking. <laughs> yeah. So this is obviously establishing the hatred of Angel and Wolverine. Also, it seems like Angel must have super intense hearing. Oh, sure. Because he overheard the conversation. And so he goes on. He's like, she's spoken for. And even if she wasn't, she's too good for the likes of you. How has he leapt to this conclusion already? Yeah, I don't know. He, he can spot a man macking on a woman from miles away. I think in <laughs> the Claremont run as we go on, it will be established that he's a recluse and he's crazy. And that's where Angel's kind of like, whoa, I don't Why is this guy here? But. We're retconning it and saying, like, Angel do all along or something. See, I feel like this is a really cool scene that Chris Claremont had in mind, but it just doesn't really make sense. Right. So <laughs> uh, Angel and Wolverine are going to they're gonna go at it. But um, Marvel Girl puts up a telekinetic shield in between them and separates them. Wolverine unleashes his claws once again. Uh, this, this, he doesn't unleash his claws without his gloves until later. Right. And there's an important scene, I think, that establishes all of that. But 
whatever. So he does here. Um, but then he's struck by lightning. And a storm comes in and... Wow, she strikes him with lightning. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Again, Wolverine should be dead. Yeah, nobody knows what his powers are, but he keeps getting whipped around and stuff. That little guy's crazy and he tried to gut me with those claws. How could, how in heaven's name could Professor X have brought a lunatic like that into the school? How can he expect us to work by him, by his side to trust him? He's as ready and willing to slaughter us as fight our foes. Storm comes to his um, defense, sort of, and says, well, you did strike the first blow. Stuff like that. Um, Marvel Girl comes up to Wolverine and she tries to comfort Wolverine, but... It's like, no. Go away, Red. Let me be. I'm really bad news, as crazy as they come, and I do kill. <laughs> I'm not afraid. You, you should, should be. be. <laughs> I feel your pain and anguish. So does the professor. Otherwise, why you'd be here. I'm glad I met you. Welcome to the X-Men. I'm going to quit now. So the professor apparently has been up all night because he's like, Dawn already? <sighs> Too little to do, too much time. No, other way. Too much to do, too little time. <laughs> Marvel Girl, I guess, was reading his mind or something because she's like, no way to live. <laughs> <laughs> so they have a conversation. Out loud for some reason. Yeah, yeah. They they should be telepathically talking, but they're not. And I guess uh, they just they establish that they're gonna, that she's going to leave. Right. That's the, there's a very long conversation about this. And he's accepting of that. He understands. I love heart, I love Scott with all my heart, but I also can't deny the attraction between me and Wolverine. Oh, right. I'm afraid of yielding. I, that I'm she nearly... won't yield. Right? She's afraid that she'll give himself, herself right, right. up to Wolverine. Right. Yeah. I nearly died battling Krakoa, as I have on a score of occasions since you formed the X-Men, but tonight suddenly I found myself wondering why I keep coming back for more. Yep. So the professor and Jean embrace. The professor wishes her well and says that there will always be a place here. Don't ever hesitate. Oh, Oh, please, hush. (laughs) (laughs) I'll always be a thought away. Well, anyways, uh, the next issue of Classic X-Men is entitled First Friends. So really, I don't know, a bunch of backstory yeah, I guess we're trying to flesh out some personalities. It's it's kind of, in my opinion, an interesting way to launch classic X Men. But whatever, they, there was an attempt. They tried. Yeah, they're trying to sell comics. They got a good story. It, it doesn't work a hundred percent, but it's it's still a good story of its own. I guess I think maybe it works in the time frame in which it was released. So, right, because right. all that stuff has already been established. So this is like. That, like, oh, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, oh, how clever of him to work that in there like right. that. But, well. But where we are, it doesn't work so it much. It doesn't work so well. So that's why this is at the end of the podcast, <laughs> that you can be like, I don't ever want to hear this stuff. <laughs> right, right. So with that in mind, we're going to turn our attention, what, to another tale, you ask? Yes, another tale. This is actually giant-sized X-Men number three, because we're going to save number two for next week. Right. Giant-sized X-Men number three uh, was written by Joss Whedon. And uh, the artist by Neil Adams. Good old Neil Adams back. Being colored by Richard Eisenhove, lettered by Chris Eliopoulos, 
and uh, there are a bunch of editors. The cover is by Dave Cockrum, and it's not a great cover. No, it's actually by John. No, it's Cockrum. no, it's 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 based on Cockrum by Cassidy. That's Cassidy's signature at the bottom. On the cover, Cockrum's name is in the green. Yeah, and underneath that is Cassidy. So they must have. I think Cassidy did the top, and Cockrum did the middle. Well, it's definitely colored by Laura Martin. It says on the inside. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's Neil Adams, but it's it's not great, Neil Adams. Yeah, Neil Adams has uh, it's it's not his top notch work. He, he's definitely his style has changed, and I don't even know when this came out. Yeah, I know. Hold on, let me do a. Hang on, I think I have it too. Uh, this would be the April two thousand five giant sized X Men. So we're three. jumping way ahead. This uh, this episode or issue is called Teamwork, and it's a very short story. So Wolverine walks into the danger room with a pink shirt and a toothpick. <laughs> a guy with claws, a pink shirt, and a toothpick walks into the danger room. <laughs> <laughs> and his shirt is wide open. Like, we're, like, it's the 70s. I got a pink shirt. I got chest hair hanging out. All he needs is gold chains, and he would complete the look. <laughs> At least I assume that's his chest. Maybe this is the miscolored shirt. But anyways, uh, he comes in, he's addressing all of the new X-Men and saying... Except for Banshee. Well, right. Well, he, yeah, because he's more of a classic team member. Yeah. It's your first day as new X-Men people, so I'm going to show you how this works. Like, who put him in charge? <laughs> well, I think we'll, we'll find out. Da, incredible. An hour ago, I spoke not a word of English, and now I understand every word. So right there, we know this takes place right in the middle of Giant Size 1, uh, shortly after uh, the professor gave everybody the ability to speak English. I would gladly honor English if I knew a banal project. I won't do that anymore. Sunfire's not happy he knows English, I guess. So he's just as disagreeable as ever. He's curious about why nobody else is wearing their costume except for uh, Nightcrawler. Right. And, Weren't uh, you supposed to wear costumes? The little German's wearing one. And, we also uh, know that this is modern because we get the big text, little text. Right. Which is funny, but you know that never happened in the old days. Wolverine calls Sunfire Sunflower. <laughs> Sunfire, you brainless. We're going to get costumes? <laughs> <laughs> Wrong how, Wolverine? Sunfire called us a team, which we ain't. Which we ain't. We're a bunch of loners. Teams are like the Fantastic Four and stuff. Somehow Wolverine turns into a vampire <laughs> in this panel. Look at those fangs and that face he's doing. Time out. Being blinded all of a sudden. Blinded by the light. So here's where I start having a problem with this retcon. Uh, uh, Wolverine pops out his claws in front of Nightcrawler, which I really didn't have a, pl- a problem with in the other, in the classic X-Men, mm-hmm. because in a future issue, spoilers, by the way, spoilers, in a future very soon issue, Wolverine will do this exact same thing, and Nightcrawler will say, Ja, I thought that was part of your glove. And Wolverine says, no, they're a part of me. <laughs> so this can't happen. Oh, well. So, anyways, moving on. Nightcrawler closed his eyes. Oh, didn't you see him in the danger room when we were training? No, I, I was sleeping. <laughs> I was drunk. Wolverine says, basically, uh, we're in here for one reason. The professor knows that one of us isn't going to make the cut, so we're going to fight to the death. Someone's going to die. 
And, and then, I think it's going to be Nightcrawler. And Nightcrawler wets himself. <laughs> <laughs> He's like covering his bladder. Oh, no. Oh, oh Jai, I, I'm so wet. I need a change of outfit. Uh, Peter jumps in to protect Storm, but Storm says, Hey, I don't need protection from you, Metal Man. Sunfire unleashes a blast on Wolverine. Which Peter then jumps in front of. Peter really... Uh, Guy in good characterization of yeah. Peter. He's the guy who... He's the protector. He takes everything. Absolutely. He takes all the blows. Storm uh, levitates herself up on winds current. She tries to contain Sunfire's fire. Now, I want to ask you something. This, this is going to come up in future real issues of X-Men, but I understand like weather manipulation. Like If I'm outside, mm-hmm. I can manipulate the weather, but if I'm inside a contained room, how can I... I can't... Can I generate weather? I think she can. I, I always thought her power was like weather control. I guess so she we'll could learn create conditions for storms and stuff, and she would have limited control over those elements. But I mean, the ability to create a storm inside of a building is a hell of a power. Well, yeah, you put her up there with Thor at that point. I don't know. Uh, I, we will. We will. We'll, we'll have to pay attention, yeah. I guess. Well, anyway, she whips up a storm, and but she gets a little freaked out because, as we learn in the future, spoilers, she has claustrophobia right and this feeds into that so she's kind of out for the count thunderbird punches wolverine in the back they have a little bit of a fight um nightcrawler is still freaking out this is the professor's mutant haven we will we will we kill the weak to earn our place and then he bamps away i didn't escape a mob to be killed here that's terrible accent (laughs) yeah then he he teleports away and he jumps onto storm's back for no apparent reason i guess to calm her down maybe I guess, but wouldn't that freak you out even more? You're like, yeah. oh, I'm so claustrophobic, and now there's a demon on me! Ah! <laughs> well, anyways, so uh, Thunderbird is making short work of Wolverine uh, until Wolverine... Oh, and asks, like, why aren't your claws out? And he's like, lightning, metal, you do the math. And he throws Thunderbird into uh, Peter, and I guess Peter uh, Thunderbird gets zapped. Apparently Wolverine forgot to lock the danger room because Banshee walks in and is like, Are y'all mad? <laughs> the professor heard the lot of you from across town if he could see you. And then that's when it dawns on everybody. Professor X did not order this? Of course not. Prof's a decent guy. That's why I waited till we was all alone to spring this. <laughs> Wolverine's really old. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's worked up. He's been punched in the gut a few times. And uh, Wolverine says his whole reason for doing this is because we weren't, like I said, we weren't a team, but now we are a team because we know each other's powers and we know each other's limitations and all that stuff. And personally, my money's on T-Bird to outlast the rest of you. I ain't been hitting like a solid since I scrapped with the green guy. So anybody want to get a beer? (laughs) Just a little, uh, you know, nyuck, nyuck. Thunderbird's not going to last longer. Shh. Oh, wait. <laughs> Maybe he will. Yeah. Well, it, that... It could be. Yeah. I bet you Nightcrawler dies first. Yeah. He does die. Yeah. And Colossus. Yeah. Just giving rid of him. Everybody dies. It does, uh... I think the only one who doesn't die is... Well, Wolverine doesn't Banshee die. Banshee dies. Storm doesn't die. Storm... I don't think Storm ever dies and then comes back. Right. Yeah. One day we'll have to do like a Marvel Universe episodes where we episode where we catalog all of the superheroes that never died. There's probably like six of them. Yeah. Well, there you go, everybody. That is 
the giant-sized X-Men's of this little universe time frame. Pocket show. What do you think of the retconny stuff? Oh, it's interesting, but I don't hold it as, uh, I don't know. So the giant size X Men number three, I just we just read. I bought because I it came out at the time of Astonishing, of course, and uh, I liked Astonishing X Men a lot. And I said, giant size number three, and on the cover, emboldened is uh, Joss Whedon and John Cassidy. And I was like, oh, I have to buy this. And then you get nine pages of original content, and then I don't even remember what the backup story is. Is it just a reprint of Giant Sized One? I don't, I don't even remember. But uh, I bought it, and I, I felt a little taken advantage of. <laughs> Sorry. So, yeah, well, it's not your fault. No, it is. I, I, <laughs> I was the publisher then. Oh, were you? Yeah, and I was like, let's put together this comic book, which has seven pages. Never mind. I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> so uh, write in. Let us know what you think. We're, we're into the new age of the X-Men. We've got kind of maybe a format change where we cover some of the retconny stuff in the back end. Let us know what you think of that. Is it too long? Is it not enough? Is it whatever you think? Uh, and you can let us know at red or danger room at redcatproductions.com or facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast. You can visit our Twitter feed at danger room go, or you can go out to the iTunes page and uh, leave us a little five star review uh, you can also call us on our voicemail, which is 501-GET-X-MEN. And those digits I can't actually remember at this point. Right. But, you know, go find an old phone that has numbers on it, and it's <laughs> 501-GET-X-MEN. Another interesting thing you can do with that, not really all that practical, but you can text it. And oh, if you really? text that number, we will receive the message that you texted to us. I didn't even know that. It's amazing science. <laughs> Uh, so many ways to get a hold of us, and uh, we would love to hear from you. And uh, let us know what you thought of this episode and the format. Yeah. Anything else you want to say, Adam, about this particular issue? Episode? No. I'm, I'm glad we finally got here, and I'm looking forward to the future. All right. Well, until next time, the, the danger room is closed. Never doing that again. (laughs)